kept, I kept waiting for more. Ah, <laughs> oh, I love being here. The singing is so fantastic, and thank you. I, I hope the people in the orchestra know how much you're in my heart. This is such an, should they keep standing? Well, if you, you can keep standing for a minute, otherwise I'm going to have you stand up again. You already, you already know that. Such an ex unexpected opportunity for me to be with you. Uh, the thing that brought, brought me here is uh, one of those things that challenges our faith, but then makes it so that our faith is stronger, and that is that, uh, that a young woman who is a part of our church, she and her mom and dad, I just love them with my whole heart. And at 15 years old, she passed away uh, recently. And uh, as, as they, her name was Addison Grace Hitchcock. Uh, so I, I officiated at her memorial service yesterday. And uh, when I heard what her friend said about her, it was all about Christ-like qualities. I, I got to be here earlier in the morning for uh, Pastor Matthew, I called her, I think you called her the spiritual matriarch of our church, Eunice Richter's memorial service at age 96. And even though there was such a difference between Addie and, and uh, Eunice, the thing that was the same is what this message is about today. And, uh, and we'll be thinking about this. I want to say this to Pastor Matthew, thank you. I say it every time I hope for this incredible blessing it is for me to get to open the word, but also just to be here with you. And I pray that I'll be faithful to this, to, this, um, to this word today. So you're still standing. I'm glad for that because we're going to be hearing our Father's word. Um, it comes from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. I want you to listen for the two parts here. One part of it is incredibly, unbelievably encouraging. The other part is equally, incredibly, and unbelievably challenging. See if you can tell which part is which as I read it. First John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, this is the Word of God. See, see, what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know this, that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law, in fact, sin is lawlessness, but you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. We need a hallelujah there. And in him is no sin. So no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, uh, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared 
was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them. They cannot just go on sinning because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. And this is the word of God. You really mean that? Yes, so let's take a seat. I want to show you a couple of pictures at the beginning to help you to visualize what it is I want to talk to you about. Uh, the first one is um, a picture of Michelangelo's Rondanini Pieta. Um, it's a marble sculpture that Michelangelo worked on in the last 12 years of his life. Yes, 12 years from 1552 to 1564. No, I was not alive during that time. Um, you know, perhaps, if you've studied art, that Michelangelo, at the end of his life, started viewing sculpture in a bit of a different way. He, he viewed uh, the marble as being a block and that his role as the sculptor was to simply get rid of the extraneous parts because he could see inside the, the perfect form, the perfect human being that was there, and he just had to sort of get rid of, of the superfluous pieces. But this one he worked on for 12 years, all the way up until the final week that he um, died, and he never perfected that. I, I think the thing that I want to say to you is, is this. God does see us that way. He sees us as we are, but he sees us as what he's going to make us to be, and what he's going to make us to be is beautiful. And he's at work on us right now. Um, but what God, what God works on, he doesn't leave imperfected. Mark that down. You with me so far? Now I want to show you a much more up-to-date picture, if we throw that second picture up here. This, this is Chris. She can't be here today. She's listening to the message today. And in her arms is our new grandchild. This, <clears throat> yeah, I, I knew I'd get an awe out of that. That's little Kyra June Waybright. She was born on Father's Day. And so Brandon, my son, and Kelsey, who grew up here too, they have their first uh, child at home. I, we were with them last week. <clears throat> it was amazing for me to see and feel the things myself and that Chris felt, but also to watch Brandon and Kelsey and how much they loved Kyra. Now, you know, a little baby is, is not perfect yet, amen? And yet, I could just sense that they could already see her so much for what she would become, and they're gonna love her in that direction. See, that's what God does to us, too. So I, what, is, what does he see? What is that finished product? And in the text that we have today, uh, I want to, you to see this. It's in verse 2. So, dear friends, John says as he writes this, now we are the children of God. So we're in that family, that, that father's, what's he going to do? What we will be has not been fully made known yet. But we know this, that when Christ appears, we shall be like him. What do you think of that? We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Now, the big question is how we go from where we are. Maybe some of you are, are perfect, but I'll, I'm going to come and tell you you aren't. But um, how do we go from where we are to where he promises we will be like Christ? I, I saw the billboard outside, the board outside that said, believe, belong, become. 
So how do we go from that point where we believe, come and belong within his family, and then actually become? And this is what I want to talk to you about today. We've been singing about it today. The song talked about it. We just sang. And the foundational truth is this. Mark this down. If you have nothing else, I'm going to be talking about it the whole morning. All growth, all of our growth into becoming, all of our joy, all of our strength, all of our endurance and faith, all of these things are rooted in one thing, that we have experienced the love of God. Did you notice how John began this? What great love our Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God and that is who we are. Now, you know, I've been at this for a long time. I've been working with people who go to church and serve in church like we all are for almost all of my life. One thing I've learned is that all of us come to a time when we sometimes feel a bit spiritually numb, sometimes exhausted. Sometimes we say, well, maybe I should just take a break from even showing up at church and, and, and people do that and think maybe, maybe I'll be rejuvenated in that way. I remember, you know, I was a, a chaplain at Wheaton College for these past two years. And I remember a time when the students came up to me, they were just exhausted. The spiritual leaders of our campus that I was mentoring came up to me and they said, Chappy G, that's what they call it. <laughs> That's what they called me there, uh, Chappie G. How can you maintain, how can you sustain your enthusiasm and, and, and your, your joy in, in serving Christ? We're just getting to be so tired. So I, I want to take you to some of the things I started thinking about and, and talking with them about. And, and one of the passages that is at the heartbeat of this is the one that I read to you, 1 John chapter 3. And in that, it, it kind of feels like what I'm doing here today. The Apostle John, who wrote this in 1 John, was actually writing to a church that he had been in, perhaps even the pastor of that church at Ephesus. And so he had a message to bring to them. He knew the people of that church really well. Some of you are new, but some of you I know really well, and, and you know me as well. And he says, as he starts it in verse 1, see, open your eyes. Take time to allow what you are seeing in your eyes to penetrate into the rest of your being. Take time to see it, remember it, and reflect on this. What? What great love our Father who adopted us into his family has, and the strongest word in Greek, has lavished on us. So here we go. One of the most basic truths about our Christian faith is this. The Christian faith is about our response to the love of God for us. Are you with me? It is not like so many other religions, me having to try to find a way to earn God's love. He loves us already with an everlasting love. He even knows where we have messed up. The New Testament is filled with this. It's not that we loved him, it's he loved us first. It is while you and I were sinners, he loved us so much that he died for us. When the Apostle Paul says, what is it that's going to make us to really offer our bodies and our minds wholly to God? It is in view of God's mercy, his love and his mercy. It is an experience of the love of God that moves forward. So if, if you feel 
like these young students did the day they came in, exhausted, numb, perhaps wondering if it's even real. The first step is not to work harder or to beat yourself up. The first step, yes, it's, it's to acknowledge your failures, but then to hear God say, I know. And when we run back to him to hear him say, I am ready to forgive you and start again, the first step is to remember the love of God. So I have my question for you today, and I'm gonna bring it back at the very end. And I, I, if you have a worship folder, and if you didn't, someday get one of those. Um, but find, either use your phone or something later. I want, here's the question of the day. When was the time in your life that you experienced God's love for you most unmistakably? Think about, are you thinking about that? When was it? What happened? Um, I think I've told you this story before, but one of the great stories of the transformative power of the love of God was Blaise Pascal, the 17th century French mathematician and scientist. He'd, been, he'd grown up in church, but he had walked away from the Lord, denying the Lord. Um, but one day he was walking, and well, let me tell you, what happened to him that day was so life transformative, he wrote it out, that's why we still have it, he sewed it into his coat so that the undertaker found it. And uh, I'll just read you a part of it. The year of grace, 1654, Monday, 23rd November, from half past 10 to half past midnight, Fire, God of Abraham, God of Jacob, God of Isaac, certitude now that you are, certitude of God, feeling, feeling love, peace, joy, God of Jesus Christ now, my God, forgetfulness of the world and everything except you right now, O oh God, righteous Father, the world has not known you. But I know you, you know me, you love me. Joy, 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 tears of joy. This is life, this is eternal life, to know you, the one true God and the one that you sent, Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ, I left him, I fled him, I renounced him, I crucified him, but he has found me. Let me never be separated from him. Now I completely surrender to Christ. Eternal joy for this day's obedience on earth. May I not forget this day. May I never forget. And it changed his direction of his life. So knowing that I was going to ask you to do this, to think about when you've most unmistakably experienced God's love. I thought I've got to do the same thing, right? So I thought of so many times. It was one of the best things for my walk with God to try to prepare this sermon for you. <laughs> and one of them that came to mind, and I think I'm going to share it because Chris can't be here with me, is when Chris and I first got married, I took her almost immediately to Germany where I was serving in, in missions there. And uh, she had to adjust to me, but it was even harder for her to adjust to Germans and, and, and to Germany. And she was having really, really a hard time. As we got close to Christmas, I was, had two trips planned in front of me. 
One of them was to take me back to the United States, and I was going to be doing a recording of music. I used to do that. And then I was going to come back, and in January, I was going to take a trip to South India, Pastor Matthew, down to Kerala State and, and to some other places there to do evangelistic work through, through music. And we didn't have enough money uh, to be able to have her go to both of those trips. So she had to make a choice. And she was so homesick that she had to go back to the United States, so she went. But meant we had to go back then in January to, to Germany, where she was still feeling so uncomfortable and awkward. And I headed out for these six weeks to India. I tell you, I, I felt so much guilt. <clears throat> I thought I brought my wife over here. She's having a hard job, and now I'm going. She's going to have an awful time. I was so worried the whole time I was there in Germany, worried about Chris being back here by herself in Germany, not really knowing German, not knowing any, any people. And so one day I was walking on the beach in Mangalore, in the south part of, of India. I'm, I'm guessing you know right the beautiful part that is there when God met me. I was praying and God met me. And, and it wasn't like Blaise Pascal, I doubt, but it still was a very real meeting which I heard him say to me, Greg, I love you, and I love Chris. I love her more than you can, and you more than you know. I'm taking care of her. Trust me. Now, now for all of you who are younger, we didn't have Skype back then. <laughs> we didn't have FaceTime back then. We didn't even, can you believe it? We didn't even have email back then. <laughs> this was a long time ago, 1978. And so we had distance. I wasn't going to see her for another four or five weeks. And yet I, I made a conscious commitment as best I could to trust him. When I came back, I was so worried about what she would say about how awful and hard this was. She came with this huge smile, and it wasn't just a big smile because I was back, but because she'd had a tremendous experience that, <laughs> that I was away. She had found this language program and, and taken a trip all the way from where we lived outside Hamburg and taken it in every day, had made friends and had learned enough German really to do really well. And I heard that it began really on the day that God met me on the beach in Mangalore. I tell you, talk about a renewal of my own trust in God, that was one. So now we come back to what John is talking about as he's talking to a church he loves and he writes this passage. What makes him write this? What is he feeling? I think what he's feeling as he writes this text is the same thing that when he wrote his gospel uh, made him say um, I, that he was the beloved disciple. <clears throat> Could you throw me a water there? As when I was here, this is a dry sermon, so. <laughs> what he was feeling <clears throat> as one who is loved by God is that he is struck to the core. I think he's knocked out of his seat with the reality that God, the creator God, creator God uh, Jesus shall reign Wherever the sun does its excessive journeys run, that God who is like that knew him, knew his failures, knew his weaknesses, and loved him with an everlasting love. He says, see this. How can we, a people like us, be called the children of God? But that is what we are. And I love this phrase, called. This God calls us. 
his children. You know that when God calls, when God speaks, things happen, right? I mean, when he spoke in the book of Genesis, when he called it out and said, let there be light, there was light. He called the eternal universe into a being by calling things and speaking. And when he calls and says, you are my child, who are you? The answer's not hard. <laughs> he is your father. Will you bask in that? God knows you. He knows what's happening, where you've been, what you've thought. And he says, you're my child. You are forever forgiven. You are forever redeemed. You are forever in my arms. So know this. Those times when you experience the love of God in you, when you allow his love, when you see and allow this to come through your eyes, into your heart, touch your inner being, it really does begin to renew you. It's not staying away from God that renews you. So many times God met me here when I came and worshiped with you. It renews you, it, it, it revives you, gives you a new impetus to move forward. Dear friends, we are the children of God, and yet we don't know yet fully exactly what we will look like, but we do know this. When God is done with us, we shall be like Christ. We will see him as he is. So that means for all of us, that we're still now in this process of changing, of, of, of becoming, can conform to the image of Christ. I mean, the question is, what does that mean? Does that mean we all sort of get into this mold, kind of like, you know, yeah, making ice cubes and that every cube comes out looking just alike? Is that what's going to happen to us? And you know that's not true. Yesterday, those two memorial services, I thought about this. this what both, of, I mean, there were probably no two more different people at Lake Avenue Church than, than Addie and, and Eunice. Uh, I can tell you they would like different music. They would talk about things in different ways. 15-year-old and 96-year-old. And yet the things that people said about them um, was, was always the same. And, and that was the, the qualities of Christ you see in the Beatitudes, gentleness and purity and the fruit of the spirit that is there. That's what people talked about in, in, in both of those services. It's not that we all become alike. No, God has made us, each one of us, so distinctively different. And when we become like Christ, we become more of who we are. Except that the qualities and characteristics of our lives reflect the way of Jesus. And if you see, is that really happening? I wish that would happen more to my husband or my wife. You, you might say, if it's not really happening, where do you begin to go from believing into becoming? And, and John just says so simply, see how great the love is that God has lavished on you. And when that happens to you, you just want to please him. Don't you want to please those that you love? And, and you really want others to know the love of God too. Now, I've got to tell you this. It doesn't happen overnight, amen? It's a process of becoming. So I have a real serious warning for you because John gave them a serious warning too, didn't he? There is a barrier to our growth in Christ, to our growing to become more and more like him. 
And I've just sort of summarized, I put them up here, just some of the verses that he, hard-hitting verses that he writes to people he loved. He says, all who have this hope in them purify themselves, just as Jesus is pure. So no one who lives in him can, can keep on sinning. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Now, I know this part can be really confusing. It almost sounds contradictory. This is what you're going to become. Oh, but wait a minute. You're not. What's going on here? God's word makes it very clear that when you and I come to Jesus, we can't stay where we are. I think we live in a world where sometimes we can come to church and say, well, Jesus already died for me, so I don't have to change at all. That's not true. He died for us so that we could truly change to become who he made us to be. We, we've responded to him so that when we look, come to him, and as he says here, it is the devil is the one who sins, and we just see ourselves sort of getting into a pattern of life where we know there are things in our lives. We're going to websites just on and on again, or we are treating people in the same way over and over again, and we just see that, and we get to a point where we're callous. We don't even care about whether we change. Beware, beware. When you see that impurity in your life, that's not the way of Jesus. He was pure. John wants us to know there's a big difference between right and wrong, pure and impure. And he doesn't want us ever to think that when we first come to Jesus, just poof, we're going to be perfect. But he also doesn't want us to think that God doesn't care. At the end of Paul's life, he would say, I, I don't want you to think that I've arrived yet. I haven't. But I want you to know I'm not going to stay where I am either. <laughs> I want to know Christ. I want to reflect his presence in my life. So I, if you read these verses 3 through 10 out of their context, you might think that he, he's saying you're going to be perfect immediately or, or that you can just go ahead and live as you want without it. No, that's not what he's talking about. I'll give you as an illustration. It's one of the best I've had. I've used it before you, with you before. When I was a young pastor up in the Central Coast, uh, there was a young engineer. His name was John, uh, who not the last name, this, not this engineer named, named John, but his name was John. And uh, he had started coming to the church because he had fallen in love with this girl in our church and she said she wasn't going to date him if he didn't go to church. So he wasn't the happiest person to be in there to go to church. But week after week after week, he came and was sitting there hearing me preach. And finally one Sunday, he came and gave his life to Jesus. Hallelujah. He was also a tennis player. So I would go out and play tennis with him. And uh, one day, as, as we have the changeover, and we were uh, talking about life, which is what we did, he, he said to me, Pastor Greg, um, I don't think this Christian thing is working for me. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, I gave my life to Jesus, and I, and I felt forgiven and redeemed, and I felt his presence. Pastor Greg, I'm still sinning. Yeah, and I, what would you have said to him? I said, John, you've got to know it's a process from here. We call it sanctification, God making us whole. It's a process. Sometimes it moves along quickly. And if you don't see it moving at all, which wasn't the way he felt, he felt, oh, I want my life to be different. But I said, it will happen. 
It's the promise of God for you. It will happen. Where you see things wrong, don't hide it. Bring it out. Confess it. Hear him say you're forgiven. I'll start with you again. And sometimes it feels awfully slow, doesn't it? Us going from where we are to where God says we will be. I live in Colorado Springs now. Last year, Chris and I began the renovation of the landscaping in our yard. Chris <clears throat> wanted me to go and see all the plants. Now, I like plants a lot. Um, just going looking at plants isn't the most exciting part of my life. I mean, rarely do you ever, rarely do you ever see a plant growing. So when we would go to these nurseries, I'd never said, "Chris, come over here. You won't believe what this plant is doing." No, um, and yet, when you take that plant and you give it regular water, sunlight, over time it has an effect. That's why Jesus said the kingdom of God, the rule of God in our lives, again and again he would say it's like a seed. It's planted. And within the, uh, the, with the power of the Spirit, within the community of the church, and with so many things that God gives, we begin to grow. We begin to grow. And at the end, what he is promising is, he, he said, we, we don't know exactly how it's going to happen or what it will exactly look like, but we know this. It will look like Jesus. I think what John is getting at here is something I really want you to understand. That it's, it's when we live this side of heaven, there are these streams every day of, of, of practices and decisions you and I make every day of our lives. Um, sometimes when those decisions come to us, um, the tug in the flesh of our beings is what I would call anti-Jesus. We know it's wrong, it doesn't please him, but, the, but we go that way anyway. And then what do we do? That's what we have to wonder. But there's this other stream that once you come to know Jesus, that you have the Holy Spirit in your life, and you've been reading the Word, and you look at that, and what you begin to have after you've experienced the love of God is a deep desire to please God. And if there's something that's not pleasing Him in your life, you have this tug. Have you ever felt this from the Holy Spirit? You've got to get this right. <laughs> you've got to get this right. Uh, and you do. You turn back to God. And then, like John said in an earlier chapter, you come and he says, if you confess those sins to God, when you sin, he is faithful. He'll be who he is. He is just. And he will cleanse you. Again, this should be a hallelujah time for every one of us here. Thank you, Jesus. He will cleanse you for the, all that's not right. Start again with you until he is finished with that work. So when you see those things in your life, don't just continue to do them. Paul, John says, that's the biggest warning of all. You're going to know you're not even the child of God if you can just keep going down that path without caring about it. You turn that thing back over to him and you'll experience the love of God again as you see his grace shown toward you. God receives us in repentance and faith and like a plant, we begin to grow. Sometimes for me, it's just by imperceptible measure but we grow. I hope I'm more than when I first came here as your pastor because I keep hearing people say something like this. I heard a pastor say this. When we get to be older, we are like cement, all mixed up and set for life. And John says, no. <laughs> Once we've experienced the love of God, not everything that we know about what we're going to look like when he's done has been known, but we know this. God has promised us he won't give up on us. 
with the sculpture that he is doing, we will be like Christ, for we shall see him as he is. So I'm going to give you three reminders at the very end here. Um, you are still becoming. You're not all yet that God is making you to be, that God created you to be. Um, when you get frustrated with yourself, when you have a hard time believing that God knows you and continues to lavish his love on you, don't give up because he never gives up on you. Don't be like an old Eeyore saying, woe is me, everybody else at Lake Avenue Church is perfect and I'm the one that can't. No, no, no. Just see how great the Father's love is for you. Know that you're still becoming. I, I want you to know this too. I think this fits your series of messages. Know that everybody else in here is becoming too. We've been made one blood, one spiritual blood, right? You've been hearing that. Um, so for us, we look at this and we say, yeah, this is how we know we're God's children, that we are not going to keep on sinning, we're going to turn back to him. But the other way, and don't miss this, anyone who does not love their brother and sister is not a child of God. Just that flat out. How this series, Matthew, that you're doing is so central to what Jesus produces in, in a church of people. How, how do you feel like you're doing with this? Loving other people here at Lake. If, if there are broken relationships, I, I, I pray you do what Jesus said. Go to them when the service is, don't go now. He said go now. I want you to wait till I'm done. Go to them now. Say, so we've got to get this right. This is the way people know that we're Christians, that we love one another. And so I want you to just know, be patient with the failures that all of us have. When you see those things that just irritate you by other, about other believers, re remember that God isn't done with them yet. It'll just make you pray that God will work faster. Love them as, as trying to see them as God does. Love them as, as, as they will be when he's done. And in fact, I would say love them into being more the people God would have them to be. And then the last reminder, the key to our ongoing becoming is experiencing and responding in faith to the love of God. So I want to do this takeaway right now. Um, if you will take out your worship folder, if you find a sheet of paper, and I'm, take out your phone if you, if you make notes. And here's the question of the day. Take time to remember when you most unmistakably experience the love of God. Can you remember a time? I want you to write it down, like Blaise Pascal did. I want you to write it down. I want you to put it somewhere that you can see it. Make it an Ebenezer stone, a rock of help, a place where God met you, so that when you wonder what's going on, or you become cold in your faith, you can go back to that and remember the depth of God for, love, uh, for you. He knows me. He loves me. And I will return in response his love in any way that he will allow me. Closing story. I told you this, but it fits so well here. Uh, when I first went out to Chicago from West Virginia, I went to Moody Bible Institute. Uh, they built a new dormitory. 
I was up on the 17th floor. We met there on the 17th floor. We'd always get in the lounge there and have time. There was one young guy on our floor. I'll call him Mike. It was Mike right here in front of me. I'll call him Mike uh, to, to remain anonymous. But he had not been taught good hygiene or else he had just rebelled against it. He never, never took a shower, never changed his clothes, never combed his hair, never used deodorant. It was disgusting. So all of us wanted to help him out. We did everything. We criticized him. We made fun of him. One time we took him and threw him into the shower <laughs> to say, you got to clean up. Didn't do a bit, of, not one bit of good. One time, and we didn't have much money. We put our money together and we went out and bought some soap and deodorant and shampoo and all these things. We put it into a gift box and we put it in CPO, the central post office, and one of the guys on the floor worked there. He put it in his box. We knew it was there. That evening we were all in the lounge and Mike came walking and he said, guys, look, look, what, um, look what I got. And he started pulling it all. I, mean, I don't even know what it's from. He said, I'll pull all this out, deodorant and all this. He said, but you know, I don't need this stuff. And he started passing it all back. <laughs> so, so we just gave up on him. So finally, uh, there on, at Moody, it's right in the inner city. So the, the student lounge was on the second floor of that dorm. And we would often meet there. That's the place where we could meet with students all over. And, and when we were there one day, the elevator doors opened, and this guy walked out, a really sharp guy, really nicely dressed, nicely groomed, I mean, really amazing to us, and we kept looking at him. And then it hit us, that's Mike. What on earth has happened to Mike? He, he's a different person, something's changed him. We waited there a few moments, and about three or four minutes later, the door, the elevator door opened again, and she walked out. <laughs> I'll call her Mary. Somehow, we don't know how, she had fallen in love with Mike, <laughs> but she had told him unequivocally, I am not going out with you anymore <laughs> until you clean up. And I learned a lesson there that day that what rules, manipulations, and threats cannot change, love can. <laughs> and brothers and sisters, I just want to tell you that if the love of another person can have that effect upon us, how much more will an experience of the love of God? What great love. The Father has lavished on us that we, people like us, we can be called the children of God, for that is who we are. Let me pray. Father, I pray that I've been faithful to your word. I pray that you will take this word and just do with it what you have done so many times in our lives. Remind us that you know us, know everything about us, and love us yet with an everlasting love. Father, use that to change us. Father, you reign. Jesus shall reign wherever the Son is, but you also know us personally. Thank you, O oh, our Father. Father, I pray that you might meet some of us today in that fresh way. 
reminding us that you know us and love us. I pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.